0: Uh, Bibles please to Matthew chapter 28 We're going to be looking at verse uh, 19 19 and Matthew chapter 28. Gotta love parenting. (laughs) All right. Before we read our our um, initial portions here uh, this morning, uh, I want to remind everybody what we're doing. Uh, Last week, uh, James started this series. We're going to be doing uh, an eight-part series on um, why we do what we do. Okay. Um, Some of you have been part of Branford Bible Chapel your whole life, um, and perhaps. Uh, you just figured this was the norm, right? Others of you uh, could be visiting here today. Others of you um, uh, maybe come here to Braver Bible Chapel, but you don't come from a chapel that meets the way we do. And so we've just found over uh, most recent years, a lot of people have questions. Okay? Why do you guys have that whole worship time at 9.15, right? Not a lot of people do that. Um, why don't you guys have a pastor um, all these different things, and even as I answer that question, we do have a pastor. We have several pastors, Lord willing. We just don't have the office of pastor. We have many people who have the gift of pastor. But things like this that we want to try to clarify for you uh, based on our interpretation of the Scripture. This is what we feel um, the Scripture teaches regarding some of these things. And so that's what we're going to be doing over these next several weeks is be looking at some of the things that... Um, give you some biblical reasons why we do what we do and why sometimes we look a little different than what your typical Sunday morning looks like. And again, that's not to say that we're doing it right and other people are doing it wrong. We're just trying to explain to you why we do it the way we do it. That's all. Uh, I think that's important, right? When you go to a chapel, you should know why they do what they do. (laughs) Um, And so hopefully we can help you out with that over the next several weeks. But even as we do that, there's going to be questions that arise. Uh, We may share something that you might think, I didn't know that, or I don't agree with that, or maybe I need some more clarification on that, we would encourage you to write that down, give it to one of us, or even if you want to come to us with your question or concern, um, and because what we'd like to do is we're going to have an open forum. Now that's I don't ever hear a lot of churches doing that either. That's a little, I'm a little scared myself about that, but we're going to have an open forum on a Sunday in December where we will address all these concerns and questions that you have. Okay, So it'll be us sitting up here and you there, and we're going to hash it out. Okay? Hopefully we won't get any questions. That'll be nice. We'll just sing a lot of hymns that day or something. But, um, but no, so please, we want to keep reminding you of that, that anything that you have as we're going through these things um, over the next eight weeks or more, um, if you have a question or something you need more clarification on, please, we would love that because we would at least have something to talk about that Sunday. Uh, so please do. But don't feel like you can't come to us either. If you need an answer right now, we can give you an answer, but it might be good for us to still address the whole assembly in December because someone else might have your same concern or question. Okay? All right. So let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Uh, and with that in mind, one more thing is that if you missed last Sunday's message, please, we would encourage you to hear that. Okay? I know some people, you know, we can't be here every Sunday. That's the great thing about technology. These messages are being recorded. They are available online. It's really easy. You can listen on your phone. You can listen to it at home, wherever you are. But, uh, James, I think, just did a, a phenomenal job last week of telling you what we, how we view fellowship here. Okay. And that's important. Okay. You hear us tell you all the time, Hey, listen, you got to be here at 9.15. You hear us talk about, um, you know, the word fellowship thrown around a lot. So again, if you're not quite, quite under, um, understanding, what is fellowship? Right? And and how is it that you can be part of the fellowship here? Please listen to that message uh, from last week, okay? We'd encourage you to do that, please. Alright. I think I got all those things out of the way there. Matthew chapter twenty eight, verse nineteen the Lord Jesus is talking, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts chapter 8, please. Acts chapter 8. The book of Acts, chapter 8. We have Philip here, who confronts an Ethiopian and preaches the gospel to him. In verse 35 of Acts chapter 8, Philip, he opens his mouth. That's all we have to do sometimes, right? Just open our mouths. But, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down uh, the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and Eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And then just one more, please. In Romans chapter 6. Romans. Turn over a couple more books. Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Lord will bless the reading of His Word again this morning. Let's just open it in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank You so much for what You did for us. Lord Jesus, thank You for um, paying the penalty for our sin. Thank You for dying on that cross. Thank You for shedding Your blood. Thank You for allowing Yourself to die, to be buried. Um, we're so thankful that you rose again on the third day. We thank you that you ascended back into heaven, and we thank you that you left us your Holy Spirit. And uh, so we would ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would uh, help us uh, this morning to understand your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today what we're going to be looking at is baptism. Uh, baptism is something that, again, uh, it looks very different Um in various churches. And so we want to give you an understanding today of what we teach here at Brantford regarding baptism, how it's practically applied here at Brantford Bible Chapel. Um, and so we're going to be looking at baptism this morning. The interesting thing is that uh, this is an eight-week series, and I get two of the eight. And I was just looking, and I just realized that the two that I have is baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, which is interesting to me is because uh, our teaching also here at Brantford is that those are the only two ordinances that we find in Scripture. And so you might say, okay, ordinances, where do we get that idea of ordinance? It's just something that we kind of, a rule that we've made up. Uh, it's a good rule, um, but it's this, is that if you find something that is commanded by the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, and it's something that is practiced in the early church, the book of Acts, and it's expounded on and taught in the epistles, we consider that an ordinance of God. Okay, and the only two that follow those rules are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, the verses that I read for you morning um, support the fact of baptism, right? Jesus commands it in Matthew. We see it practiced in the book of Acts, and then of course we have Paul expounding on baptism as well in the epistles. And so, uh, if you ever hear that word ordinance, right, and you hear baptism and Lord's Supper, that's the reason why we consider them ordinances. And you get me for those two. Uh, during this series. But today we're going to look at this first ordinance. We're going to look at this idea of baptism. Um, we get uh, the English word baptize from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo. And this word is translated um, as a word that means to dip or to die. Like to die something, like an, an Easter egg. Right? Immerse or plunge. Right? This uh, The Greek word bapto, the, the, the root word here, it actually... Uh, means to dip, and it comes from two technical processes that we use, uh, that they used during the New Testament times. One of them was this, is that if you wanted to um, uh, color something, like Lydia, Lydia was someone who sold purple, right? Well, they, you didn't have uh, fabrics and things like that that were in purple, so what you would take is you would take some sort of fabric, and you would dip it into probably something involving some kind of berries or something like that, and you would immerse it into that for I don't know how long, and when it would come out, it would look what? It would look purple, right? Right? You would dye that shirt. Okay, They didn't have tie-dye back then, but they did have ways of immersing clothing and diva. And this is the word baptized. They would baptize it into some kind of color and color it. Another one was this, is if you were a blacksmith, and you were working with something iron um, and hot, something hot, Right? And you've seen all these when they would pound it, right? And then they would immerse it or baptize it into water for it to cool, right? So that's actually um, the readers of this would understand that. That word baptized, they would know, okay, that's what that means. Alright? Um, what we're going to talk about today is why someone should be baptized. And then we're also going to look about what baptism is not. Okay? What baptism is not. Alright? Why Uh, should someone get baptized? Before we even get into why someone uh, should be baptized, I think it's important for us to talk about what should happen before someone is baptized. Um, If you turn to uh, Acts, back to where we were there, Acts chapter 8. As we said, we've got Philip here. Philip is sent By the Holy Spirit. And he beholds this man. He's an Ethiopian. And this man is reading from Isaiah. And the Spirit of God prompts him to go and, and talk to this man. And when he comes up to me, and he says, Hey, listen, do you understand what you're reading? And I love his statement, right? He goes, um, how how could I write unless someone explains it to me? And and the eunuch is asking him, you know, who does the prophet Who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about another man? And Philip here has an opportunity to share the gospel, right? He's actually be able to explain that this lamb, this one that was slaughtered, was Jesus Christ. And he's he's sharing with him. um, And the, the interesting question here is that somehow, and we're going to get to this later on, somehow also Philip must explain to him the importance of baptism. Because the eunuch here, he asks... Hey, listen, what prevents me from being baptized right now? Right. But the point is, of this right now is that uh, when he says, Hey, listen, what hinders me from being baptized? Notice that Philip doesn't say nothing. Nothing hinders you from being baptized. What does he say in verse 37? He says, If you believe with all of your heart. Now, what, what does he mean, what do you believe? Well, the eunuch's response in verse 37 tells us what he was supposed to believe. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God of God. You remember the Philippian jailer when he says, what must I do to be saved? Right? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so clearly here, what needs to happen before someone is baptized is they have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, something that needs to happen before you're saved. In fact, a lot of times we call baptism, today we call believers baptism. Baptism is for believers. It is for people who have already believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are saved. And there's a, um, a command for them to be baptized, which we're going to get into later on. But they have to be saved. Look at Acts chapter 18. Here's Paul again ministering at Corinth there. And in verse 7, it says, He departed from there, and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Notice that they heard, they believed, and then they were baptized. So one needs to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. One needs to be saved before they are baptized. Take a look at uh, Ephesians chapter one. There's teaching that goes around uh, goes on today that, in fact, I, I experienced it. it was interesting, is I had a phone uh, conversation with a brother in the Lord uh, who's from the South. We were uh, talking to each other because we had a mutual friend uh, that we were talking about. And this brother, he started off the conversation. He goes, listen, John. He goes, I know that we both believe that in order for someone to be saved, they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. And I said, hey, brother, I love you very much, but no, I do not believe that. And he was like, what? <laughs> I said, no, I do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. Guys, right now, um, there is a, a brother... Uh, very close to our home, as far as close to us, our, uh, the assembly center in Connecticut. He was an elder um, in one of the assemblies. He has now left over this doctrine, over this doctrine, and unfortunately has become very divisive in, in pushing his agenda and pushing his teaching that unless you get baptized, you are not saved. And it's just, it's not true, and I'm going to show you why, Okay. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. And this is one of the great things when you're studying the Bible to always ask yourself, what's not there? It's always a good right to look at what's there, but always ask yourself, what's not there? In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, Paul says this, In Him you also trusted, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What's not there? Baptism. Guys, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? It it was not when you were baptized. Okay? Now please, we're gonna get to this. Baptism is extremely important. Okay? But it is not necessary for salvation or else Paul would have had that there. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the hallmark chapter of what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're just going to look at the first four verses. Again, I want you to look at what's not there. Moreover, brethren, beginning in verse one, Paul says, I declare to you the gospel. It's what I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures. That He was buried. and That He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. That Jesus Christ died, He was buried, and He rose again so that we could be saved. Amen? Baptism is not there. Look at Acts chapter 20. Here again, Paul is exhorting the Ephesian elders, talking about again the gospel, and I'll just read the one verse there. That he says in verse twenty-one of Acts, Paul says he was testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember uh, there was two thieves on the cross, both initially um, hurling insults at the Lord. But then one of them, right, one of them says, you know what, there was something about the way Christ was dying that he saw who he was, right? And he starts actually to um, rebuke the other guy and says, hey, listen, we're getting what we deserve. Right? This man has done nothing wrong. And then he says something very interesting. He says, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, how is that guy able to be baptized if he was on the cross dying? Lastly, just take a look at First Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. This to me is just astounding, right? Paul, right, was the minister of the gospel. That's what he was known as. Okay, he was a minister of the gospel. God had sent him forth to share the gospel. And he says something very interesting here. Look at it in the beginning of verse fourteen. First Corinthians chapter one. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and, and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Look what he says here, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Hey, well, if baptism was necessary for salvation, why would God not send Paul to baptize? Because only the gospel is necessary for salvation. Right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. So, why should someone then be baptized? It's not necessary for salvation, but it is extremely, extremely important. Why should someone be baptized? I'm going to give you at least three reasons this morning why, if you are a believer this morning, right? if if Christ has saved you, I'm going to give you three reasons why you need to be baptized. That you should be baptized. Number one, okay, baptism, it signifies or it represents what has already taken place in a believer's life. Okay? Um, it is a wonderful object lesson. It's an illustration. Okay? Um, and so we're going to look at that. Uh, take a look at uh, Romans. Back to Romans chapter 6. There, there are some that um, would argue, and it's, it's okay, um, that if someone says, hey, I'd like to be baptized, that you just baptize them. Okay. I myself uh, would not agree with that. Okay. And the way I'll illustrate that to you is this. is If someone comes in this building and they come up to me or to Joe or to Greg or James and they say, hey, listen, uh, I would love to be baptized, okay. most likely we would say, hey, listen, tell us how you got saved. Right? And if that person says, well, last night I was, I was sitting in my backyard and I was looking up at the scar, stars and I saw the shooting star and, and, and the trail of it looked like it spelled my name and, and I just know I'm saved now. Would we baptize them? No. You see, because the thing with baptism, not only is it an act that we're going to get to of an obedience, something that you do, but it illustrates the gospel, okay, Right? When you get baptized, you are showing everybody something that has already happened in your life. Not only that, it illustrates what Jesus Christ has already been, done in order for you to be saved. So you just don't baptize anybody that wants to be baptized, right? There's something about. Now listen, you don't have to be a theologian. I'm not a theologian. I just pretend to be one on Sundays, okay? is you don't have to be a filler, you don't have to understand the doctrine of baptism completely, but you do have to have some understanding of how you got saved, right, of the gospel. Because that's what baptism is. So, in Romans chapter 6, right, we just read this part, we don't need to read it again, but I'll just point out some things, is that it says here that you were baptized into Christ Jesus, right? That you've been united together in the likeness of His death. Paul says in another portion of Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. That doesn't mean Paul actually hung on a cross. And that means when he accepted Jesus Christ, when he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he died. He died spiritually, figuratively. Whatever you want to say is that what happened was, as we say here, his old man, right, was crucified. You see, when I when you take someone and you start to dip them into the water, that is a picture of death. Death. Not only that Jesus Christ died for your sins and for my sins, but also on the day that you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I hope you understand this. You died. You die. Listen, there is a whole other cross that's being preached today where they say, listen, come to the cross and Jesus will make your life better. Come to the cross and, and Jesus will make you, you know, uh, healed and, and Jesus will give you a prosperity. That's not the message of the cross. When you come to the cross, you die. You don't live anymore. And that's a picture of baptism. When you get baptized, you're letting everybody know, hey, listen, I don't, I'm not alive anymore. Not at least the old man anyway. Right? There's a new man who's now alive. But you die. And that's what baptism illustrates. As you go down into that water, it's a picture of death. Not only that Jesus Christ died for you to pay the penalty for your sins, but you yourself, on the day that you trusted Jesus Christ, you died. But not only that, it says here in Romans that we're also buried with Him in baptism. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3. This is something I, I, don't, I don't hear a lot of teaching on today, and I think it's so important because so many people today are struggling with guilt. So many people are struggling with depression, um, can't get out of their own way. And part of it is because they don't understand this doctrine here, this idea that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not only did the old man die, but brothers and sisters, listen, when you are baptized, you go under the water. okay, You are immersed into that water. And even though for it's only a second, a couple of seconds, it's a tremendous illustration you can't breathe under that water. It's like a picture of burial. Okay? Buried with him in baptism. Here in Colossians, and I'll talk about why that's significant. Here in Colossians, it says this in verse 3, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ In God. Every sin. That you ever committed. Every sin that you're going to commit. Is buried. It's gone. When you trust Jesus Christ as your savior. The Bible says that you are made righteous. That you are made holy blameless and here's the picture of it is because your old man with your sins that which cut you off from god that where your spirit was dead right there was no fellowship with whatsoever whatsoever all of that that kept you away from god is now you died and it's buried guys gone that's why he says later on romans he goes why why would you want to live for that again like why would you want to bring up up out of the tomb? Why would you want to bring that up out of the ground? Those things are already done with. Christ paid for those things. They're buried. They're gone. And no matter what you do as a believer, this is scary to say sometimes, right? No matter what you do, it doesn't matter. No matter what sins you commit, it does not matter because all those sins are already paid for and buried. They're gone. God cannot see those sins anymore. All He sees is His Son. And His blood that was shed for your sins. And yet we have so many people today that don't understand the doctrine of justification. They live with guilt. They cannot forgive themselves of the things that they've done even though God has already forgiven them. God, that's the great thing about baptism is that it illustrates that not only did you die, but those sins, the old man is gone. He's not there anymore. She's not there anymore. I'm sorry to tell you, it's gone. It's buried, never to come back again. But lastly, it's a good thing when we do baptisms. We don't leave you under the water. Okay? You would not ever come back, <laughs> nah. right? As you, someone gets pulled up out of the water. Right. Not only is it a picture of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, right? But it's a picture of, okay, that old man's gone, my old self is gone. Well, what's left now? Well, now you're a new creation. <laughs> the old is gone. Behold, all things are new. Okay? And we are commanded to live as that way. Right? To live in this newness of life. Right? To not live like the old man. Right? As it says in one of not not to live as Gentiles once lived. Right? We are now a whole new creation, raised to a newness of life. Brothers says, that's why baptism is so important, right? It illustrates not only what Jesus Christ did for you, but it also illustrates, right, it represents what has already taken place in a believer's life, and how that doctrine is so vitally important for you to live a victorious life. That your old man has died, buried, gone. And the life that you live now is a whole other thing. Brand new. We are commanded to live in that newness of life. But not only that, right? Um, So we would say it's an outward public identification with an inward past reality. But not only that, it's also a, a public declaration of your very own personal obedience to the command of Christ. You know, one of the things that um, we do is, uh, here at Brantford Bible Chapel, we actually, um, we require, okay, although as, as many of you know, we, we make exceptions on how we do this, but if you're someone who wants to get baptized here, a lot of times what happens is kids want to get baptized, right? Um, their friends are getting baptized, so they want to get baptized, and, and these kids have made a profession of faith, which is great, but it's nice sometimes to have, what we require here is a baptism class. We make everyone here, if you want to get baptized, to go through a class with us. And the class is really what I'm going through right now. A lot of these things, we want to make sure that you understand why you're baptized. But one of the things I, I love about it is we always ask uh, kids or anyone that's in our baptism class, tell us how you got saved. And they tell us how they got saved. And then tell us, why do you want to get baptized? And what I love is in the simplicity of many kids are like, well, because I want to obey him. Amen. Great. <laughs> okay? Even if you can't understand all this other stuff right now, at least they understand, hey, listen. God has commanded me to, and I want to obey. Listen, if any of you are saved today, you are commanded by God to be baptized. Be baptized. And so I hope if nothing else, maybe from today, we understand a little bit more about what we believe here about baptism, but maybe someone too, after listening to this, will say, you know what? I've never been baptized. I need to obey Christ and be baptized. But that's the second reason why I would encourage you to be baptized. But here's the third one. Uh, take a look at Acts chapter nineteen. There's something very interesting about baptism. Not only is it a um, an outward public identification with an inward past reality, then not only is it a public declaration of your personal obedience to the command of Christ, but it's also a public identification with Christ. Uh, baptism is very interesting. You'll see here in Acts chapter 19, um, beginning, uh, let's see, uh, we'll start in verse 1. Now again, this is a very interesting time in, in Scripture, right? This is a very transitional time. you got the baptism of John the Baptist, right? And there were those who followed John the Baptist, and then you have during this time people who are receiving the Holy Spirit as hands are laid them and things like that. And then there's a lot of stuff that's going on there. And then, of course, you got from now on this idea of um, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we just read earlier, you receive that Holy Spirit of promise. But what I want to point out in this story, it's kind of neat. Look at verse 1. It says, It happened while Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I love this. They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So imagine, so these are guys that follow John the Baptist. John the Baptist, right? Did he follow Jesus Christ? Yes, he did, right? And these are, these are followers of John the Baptist. They've been baptized by John the Baptist. And when Paul sees them, he says, hey guys, do you have the Holy Spirit? And they go, we don't even know what you're talking about. Okay? Interesting time, right? And so, but these are guys who were identified with who? John the Baptist because of his baptism. They were identified by that. When you came to John the Baptist, he would baptize you unto repentance. You were preparing yourself for the coming Messiah. But they identified themselves as John's followers. Because they were baptized by John. It goes on, it's pretty neat. It says, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him that is on Christ Jesus and when they heard this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's guys that were already baptized by John the Baptist, they got baptized again. Okay. There are people that get baptized as infants, right? Depending on what what they come from. You, know, you get saved later on in life, you are getting baptized again. Okay? And many people say, "Oh, I was already baptized as a kid." Okay. Were you saved? No. Well, you can get baptized again. Okay? Because there's an identification with it. And this is the last reason why uh, why one should be baptized. is because Paul is saying, okay guys, listen, you were baptized in John's baptism. That's great. But I want you to understand what that was all about. You see, John the Baptist was pointing towards Christ Jesus. He's the one that you identify with now. And they said, okay, we want to be baptized again then. We want to identify with Jesus Christ now. Not just John's baptism, but with Jesus Christ. And so, I, you've heard me share this a couple times um, when we've had baptisms, but I think it's worth repeating, is um, in Catholicism, and I don't uh, pretend to be an expert in Catholicism too, there's sacraments, right? And I don't even know how many sacraments there are, right? Five or six or whatever it is. But in, in those sacraments, one of those sacraments is baptism. Okay? And I'm always curious, I'm like, where do they get the word sacraments? Right? So I'm looking through the scriptures, there's no word for sacraments in the Bible. However, if you go back... During the Roman Empire, right, during the early church, this is very interesting, is that there was a Greek word called the sacramentum. Sacramentum. And what that meant was this, is if you were a citizen of Rome and you wanted to join the Roman army, and you wanted to to do that, they would call that your sacramentum. And here's why. Because once you joined the Roman army, you were renouncing your former life. You were saying, "Hey, listen, I had no longer live for myself. I now pledge my allegiance to Caesar." And that was it. You it was your sacramentum, okay? And so from now on, you belonged to Caesar. He owned you, and you were part of the Roman army, okay? Well, the early church took that word and adopted it to baptism. That's very interesting, right? So if you were someone who was not saved and You came to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The early church would call that your sacramentum. Now, why would they do that? Right? Because as you were baptized, you were letting everyone know that I renounced my former way of life. And I pledged my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And it was a public identification with everyone there. Guys, we see it today even in Muslim countries. Right? You could say that you have faith in Jesus Christ, and and even with that, you might face some opposition, some persecution. But I will tell you that when you tell your family or anyone else there that you want to be baptized, you're done. You're done. Because even there, they understand the identification with baptism. Okay, that's great, honey. You love Jesus. Yeah, okay, we'll talk about that. Hey, Dad, I want to be baptized. What did you say? Get out of our house. Because baptism comes with a tremendous identification with Jesus Christ. You let everyone know publicly, hey, listen, I pledge my allegiance to Jesus. He owns me now. I no longer live for myself. It is not something that we take flippantly. I'll share my own personal thing. This is not uh, Branford's view. This is, not, this is just me personally. And, uh, and I haven't found many people who agree with me. So it's okay if you disagree. But my children are not allowed to be baptized until they're 15, right? Okay. Because I don't think they—I want to make sure that they understand how significant baptism is. Okay. There is a tremendous, tremendous identification with that. It's not something that you want to take flippantly, okay? Um, like I said, that's just my own personal opinion. It's the same with the Lord's Supper, right? Which we'll get into in a few weeks, right? Um, It's interesting, right, that in the early church, they would actually determine. Now, again, God only knows if someone's saved. But the church, the early church, they would determine whether you were saved or not by if you regularly observed the Lord's Supper and if you were baptized. Mm -hmm. How many people today say they're Christians and don't do either? It's very interesting to me. But the early church understood the importance of these ordinances and the identification that comes with them. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you should be baptized and you should regularly observe the Lord's Supper. Now, we already said, right, that baptism is not necessary for salvation. But also I want to make sure we understand this because there's a lot of teaching that goes on today. And I want to make sure you understand where we stand here at Brantford uh, when it comes to these things. One, uh, take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. We're just going to read verses 12 and 13 says for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ for by one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Um, When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you already experienced the baptism, didn't you? The Bible says that you were baptized into the Holy Spirit, okay? You were baptized into what we would call Christ's body, the church, okay? That's what that is. The body is uh, Christ's church, okay? So we do not believe here that baptism is a necessary prerequisite for you to fellowship here, Anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is already a member of the body of Christ, whether you're baptized or not. I said, I hope I gave enough reasons why you should be baptized, right? But if someone is not baptized, it does not prohibit them from being part of this fellowship. Okay? Because, as the Bible says, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've already been baptized into that body. You're already a member of the church. Okay? But also... Uh, If you look at Acts chapter 10, please. Acts chapter 10. This is a big one today. Um, There there are those out there that will tell you that until you are baptized, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot receive the Holy Spirit. We would disagree with that here. okay? In Acts chapter 10, Check this out. Beginning in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So, before we go on, here you have right Gentiles, who have received the Holy Spirit, right? It's been poured out on them, right? And they're able to speak in tongues, magnify God. And then look what Peter asks. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Wait a minute, they haven't been what yet? Haven't been baptized yet, okay? So here are these Gentiles who have gotten saved, right? Holy Spirit is poured upon them, but yet they haven't been baptized yet. You don't have to be baptized in order to receive the Holy Spirit. We've already looked at enough scriptures to show you that. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive that Holy Spirit of promise. You are sealed okay, until that day of redemption. So, of course, uh, he asked that question, and then he commanded them, verse 48, that they be baptized in the name of the Lord, okay? and then they asked to stay for a few days. So here, we don't believe that you need to be baptized in order to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? We've done series on that as well, as far as uh, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, But that is not uh, necessary either. So baptism is not necessary for salvation. It's not necessary for for being a part of Branford Bible Chapel. It is not necessary for receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, We would even go as far as to say that um, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, when we are here, we would always say, right, that if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome to sit, you're welcome to observe, but we would ask you not to partake. Why? Because the bread and the cup is for believers. It's for those who are saved. Okay? Um, so, with that being said, too, we hear at Bramford if you're someone who's not baptized, it does not prohibit you from partaking of the Supper. If you are saved, you are welcome to remember the Lord with us and partake in the bread and in the cup. Okay? It does not prohibit you from that. Again, we would encourage you to consider this command, to consider being obedient. Uh, to the Lord, but there are many chapels, you're going to hear them teach that, oh, you cannot partake until you're baptized. We're not willing to go that far. Um, again, encouraging you again too to know that this is a command of the Lord and that we would encourage you to obey the Lord in that way. Now, how were the first Christians baptized? right? Well, uh, for time's sake, we won't go there, but there's several examples in Scripture. Let's go back to the one we looked at in Philip. And kind he of an goes, what prohibits me, right? And what do you notice in the, the verse, it says, they went down into the water. Okay? Um, and there's other several passages that support this too, is we are big on immersion. Okay? And the reason is because of what we already explained, the illustration, right? If we sprinkle some water on your head, you lose a little bit of that. Okay? The point is that when you go into that water, you are buried, gone. Okay? And so we uh, try to, uh, again, we know there's always exceptions. Um, but, uh, for the most part here is, we try to follow the New Testament, uh, pattern where someone wants to be baptized, they're getting dumped. Okay? They're going under. And then also there's a question always is, okay, what, or in whose name do we baptize? You will see there's lots of verses, uh, in the Bible. We read a couple of them this morning, uh, where they baptize people in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay? Um, but if you go back to Matthew 28, the command by the Lord Jesus was this to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we baptize here, we do the same thing. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? In closing, I'll say this. If you want to be baptized, or those of you that have already been baptized, understand this is what you did. Okay, You were publicly saying to all those who witnessed it. And even as I say that, I want us to understand too is that we at Brantford, we, re- we believe that baptism is not only a testimony to the church, but also to the world. Okay? That's why we've recently uh, had our baptisms now at Chatfield Hollow. Because, yes, we want to, it to be a testimony to us here, our fellowship here, right? But we also want to be a testimony to those who might observe, right? Because baptism is the gospel. That's what it is, okay? But when you were baptized, you are publicly saying that Christ did all that was necessary for my salvation on the cross. I have believed it in my heart. And I am expressing it outwardly in this way, as He is commanded. When you are uh, baptized, the believer is publicly saying, "I identify with Jesus Christ." Now, this identification should carry with it the commitment to live what we might what might be called a baptized life. I'm gonna put my son on the spot, but my son was just baptized this summer, and now I tell him all the time, "Hey, listen." you now have to live a baptized life. Don't stand in front of everyone and say, hey, I identify with Jesus Christ, but then your life is not consistent with that. And so that's the challenge, right? Is that as we obey the Lord in baptism and we identify with Him, may we also um, live a life in which we walk with Christ, right? And we live uh, a life of commitment uh, to Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we are so grateful for what you did for us. Thank you for dying on the cross, for being buried, for rising again. Lord Jesus, we thank you that our old man was crucified with you there. For those of us who have believed, we thank you that our sin was put away. We're so thankful um, that we've been raised uh, to a newness of life. Um, behold, all things have been made new. Uh, the old is gone. So thankful for the new creation that you've made us. And that uh, we're thankful for this ordinance, baptism which illustrates a present reality in each of those uh, that have believed in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful, too, for uh, the identification that comes with it. And so may we uh, help us, Lord, help us as we try to carry with this identification the commitment to, to live what we would call a baptized life for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.